Hey guys, welcome back to the Live Intentionally podcast. I know how excited you probably are to hear that intro music, and I know it's been a hot minute since I've shared a last episode, but I'm ready to continue. I'm ready for the Lord just to use what He's been laying on my heart. Um, And I'm here to assure you that not every episode is only going to be me talking or me speaking because I have an awesome lineup of guests that are coming up in the next few episodes. But I'm ready to hit the ground running and excited to share what the Lord's laid on my heart. Well, welcome to the first episode of 2021. I'm super excited not only to be kicking this podcast back off, but also for a new year. I know 2020 brought a lot of devastation and anxiety and confusion, and seeing all these posts on Instagram, everyone's hoping for a better 2021, a better new year. And so with all these posts, you see people's different resolutions or goals to eat better, to lose weight, etc. You get the gist. And so for the past couple years, I haven't really liked New Year's resolutions because After looking into them, you see that 50% of Americans make these resolutions, but only a fifth of that 50% actually decide to continue them for more than a few months, not even the whole year. So I don't even want to know the statistic of those that don't complete them for the full year. But anyway, I've been doing this thing for a couple years where I choose a word for the year. Um, The year before last, it was joy. Last year, it was courage. And so I would try and embody that word for an entire year to gain scripture that went along with it, to gain uh, passages or articles and then worship songs and just to really learn to embody that one word. But this year, I decided I don't want a word. I want my faith to not be words on a page. I don't want to be like the person that just hears the word of God. I want to be a doer of the word of God. So I asked God for an action. I said, God, give me something that I can practically do so I can put my faith in action and not just hear your word and just gain this knowledge, but to truly live it out. And so in early December, he gave me this phrase. It's going to be a year on our knees. It's going to be a year where we are kneeling in prayer. And before we go into all the scripture and the posture behind it, I actually want to go back in history. So I'm going to be taking you guys back to the American Revolutionary War period during 1777. I'm not too much of a history guru, so I had to spend a good amount of time researching this. But I can tell you that now I am loving being knee-deep in this history and learning how these concepts we see in Scripture are now seen throughout history. And so here's the, here's the deal. We're in 1777, it's December, and George Washington and his Continental Army are fighting the British for independence during the American Revolutionary War. But in December of 1777, they have just lost the capital of Philadelphia to the British. The British, they came in, they destroyed it, they uh, took all they could, they plundered it, and now the Continental Army has been forced out. So General Washington takes his men to an area called Valley Forge. And Washington was considered at this time as the general, but he was thought of as incompetent. Even those that would later come after him as leaders like John Adams said in this moment he was incompetent. He was unable to lead this army because they were in defeat, they were in anguish, and then his own army, because of John Adams' words, also began to doubt him. And so they arrived about six days before Christmas to Valley Forge, and as you can imagine from all this defeat in the war, they, they were weary, they were exhausted, they knew the war wasn't over, they, they knew that tougher days were ahead, And all they knew was that they needed renewed strength. They needed spirits lifted. And so Washington is just really scrambling for things to do. And so there's this painting 
But if you look it up, you just look up George Washington Valley Forge painting, and you'll see him kneeling. There's a picture of him kneeling in the forest on his knees. And he gets down on his knees, and he prays. He's in the midst of a war. He has just lost a big battle. He's just lost a city that they were being housed in. And now they're out, stranded in the middle of nowhere. He has men to lead, and he just doesn't know what to do. And so what does he do? He gets on his knees. And we know the concept and what war is. War is a time where it is bloody. It is a battle. It is prolonged. You can get beaten down. It's not easy. And there doesn't allow for any kind of silence and rest. And it just has many rounds where you, you have to get back up. You have to keep fighting. And during all of this, Washington was so intentional to first kneel, to first bow down before this battle even came up again to prepare what is going to lay ahead of them, to, to be thankful for what has already been, whether it was defeat, whether it was victory. And not only was he preparing for what was ahead, but he was also preparing for the battle he was in. He was in a battle with his own men at Valley Forge. I mean, they were doubting him. The, the rest of the Americans, those leading the nation, were now doubting him too. He knew they needed to prepare even in the midst of this suffering. They were, they were suffering from lack of warmth, lack of clothing, lack of support, lack of strength, hope, you name it. They weren't getting the supplies they need, whether that was spiritually, emotionally, or physically, mentally. They were stranded out in the cold, cold winter in 1777. General Washington had just faced an immense defeat, one after the other, and had seen little victory. He knew he was in a war, and he knew there was a war ahead. And what did he do? He got down on his knees. This idea and the posture of kneeling has become really significant to me as I have been studying this as something that I want to make for my new year, make it a year of kneeling. And so in doing so, I began, you know, researching, well, where has kneeling come into place? Because in my own life here in 2021 as a 19-year-old, I, I really haven't practiced kneeling much. I truly and openly don't, don't get on my knees in prayer. It's something that sometimes makes me a little bit uncomfortable. So it was a totally new concept for me. So I reached out to a friend from back home who grew up Catholic. And if you didn't know, the Catholics use kneeling a lot in their churches. When you enter into their mass, you, you get down on your knees and you pray. And you get down on your knees during communion and during this mass service. It, ha it happens several times. And so I went for him some, to some research and was really thankful for him as a resource. And he was telling me about how important our posture is before the Lord. So he said it like this, our spirits and our bodies are so intertwined. Our physical movements and cues can inform or express inward realities. It can make them stronger and more poignant. It reminds us of our reliance before a holy and powerful God, humbling us to remember worship as a sacrifice. Because how we posture ourselves before God is important. Kneeling shows submission, respect, humility. It gives a new reverence. I mean, think about the posture you would take in totally different things. Think about how you drive. There's a posture that can help you to be more concentrated and to not be driving with your knees while eating a bowl of cereal, hanging out the window, you're vibing to music. Like with your hands at 10 and 2, you're sitting there straight back. That is where you can be so focused on what you're doing. It's like, it's like when a batter is in the batter's box at a baseball game, he comes up to the plate, he maybe taps his bat against his heels and he brings it up and he has a certain stance before he swings. He brings this posture because he knows it can help him focus to do the very best that he can. 
And so our posture is so important when we come to kneeling as our posture and so many other things in life that are just practical everyday things are. Because choosing to submit to someone in higher authority is done through kneeling. Choosing to be in submission, saying, God, I see myself as the need to be humbled before you. I know you are better. That's why I'm getting on my knees. I am changing something from my day where instead of standing and praying, I'm getting on my knees because it's costing me some kind of sacrifice. So just think about it for a minute. When is the last time you got down on your knees? And then think about the second question. When's the last time we got down on our knees? A group of us got together on our knees. I mean, it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? For a lot of us who never grew up kneeling or who never thought of this as something to do while prayer, maybe it's an idea you see in a movie where little kids are beside their bed, hands fold, and they're praying to go to sleep. And sometimes that's the only time you see it. But I want to change that. I want to totally rip that stereotype apart that we don't do this in church, that we don't do this in our own quiet time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kneel. And so I'm asking you to kneel with me. I'm saying, join me. Let's kneel. Let's get on our knees before the Father. And I know that kneeling, if we don't know of it too much of our religious background or in any kind of dynamic, kneeling isn't seen too much. And if it is in our modern day culture, it can be pictured as people kneeling in protest. Um, You see Colin Kaepernick who kneeled in protest. However, I'm talking about a different kind of kneeling. I'm not talking about kneeling in protest. I'm talking about kneeling as a sign of submission. This is submission where we kneel, we humble before the one who gave you breath, who gave you this air, who gave you your life, who gave you friends, who gave you family, because we want to create an earnest and desperate desire to be an expectant and desperate prayer. But I wouldn't want to give you guys all this content and not personally back it up by scripture. I don't want this to be a hollow action, hollow words without saying, this is where I got it. This is where I see it in scripture. This is where the Lord has already established it thousands of years ago. So we're going to go backwards into the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel had been serving the Lord so diligently and he was still being given trials. We see suffering here as a believer is not only seen through Paul's words and how he says we suffer for God, we suffer for Christ. But we see it here in the book of Daniel. Daniel was so fervent about serving the Lord and yet he still experienced his own wars. He had just recently become a national leader under King Darius in the city of Babylon. And before that, he had experienced opposition. He had served in a nation that so greatly neglected Christ. And he had seen several switch of leaderships. Sound a little familiar, does it not? And so through that, he'd experienced his friends being thrown into a pit of fire before him. I can't say that's ever happened to me or how I would respond. But go back a couple chapters in Daniel to see how those men personally responded if you truly want to find out. But anyway, other than that, other than seeing friends thrown into a fire, he had interpreted two different dreams for kings, a lot of pressure put on there for him. And then the other thing he went through is he saw fingers and a hand appear writing on a wall an inscription for the king that he also had to interpret. I'm not saying it was someone who said, yeah, I'm going to come write on this wall with my own hand. Nope, it was literally a floating hand. So when I consider that 2020 gave us a year to live in a dystopian world, sometimes I want to rethink that and say, perhaps that was Daniel who first lived in the dystopian world. But in Daniel chapter 6, we see that a decree has gone out where it would be banned if you were to worship anyone but the king. 
And before we just dive into this a little more, I know we have all heard this story. I know if you've grown up in the church for more than a couple months, you probably know about the story of Daniel. You know about the den of lions. You maybe sung a rhyme as a kid or saw pictures and your Jesus storybook Bible as a kid. You know the story. But try and see it with a fresh point of view right now. There's a decree gone out banning anyone from worshiping whoever it was, but this one king. And so Daniel, who we know was diligently and fervently serving the Lord, what did he do? He said, I'm not breaking my habit. I'm sticking to what the Lord has shown me, to what he wants me to do, and the posture that I take before him. So in the middle of an absolute war, knowing he would be thrown into the den of lions, it wasn't this punishment that was like, oh, dang, that's what it would have been. Daniel knew he would get thrown into a den of lions. And so he got down on his knees. He bowed in prayer just as he had done before. Daniel had made this such an intentional habit that even with his life on the line, he wanted to be intentional about keeping this habit. He wanted to be intentional about this posture during the season of war. So Daniel was eventually thrown into this den of lions when this was found out that he was still continuing to do this. And Daniel, although he knew he would be thrown in, he knew his God was still good. He knew that whatever happened, God would still be good. He would work his purpose through. I mean, we're not told how Daniel was feeling or his emotions, but if you knew you're going to get thrown into a den of lions, you're probably pretty anxious. You're scared. And yet Daniel still got on his knees in prayer. And at the end of the story, end of Daniel 6, you'll find out that God saved and he spared his life. And so then we see how God rewards us for being intentionally following him fervently. How can we follow him fervently? Just like Daniel did, by bowing his knees in prayer. So what if we truly build these habits like Daniel? What if we became distinguished like Daniel was? The king saw Daniel as distinguished. These leaders saw Daniel as distinguished, separate from everyone else, because of his faith, because of this habit he's brought to be devoted to the Lord. But this isn't the only area of scripture where we see someone kneeling in prayer. I'm not just taking a verse out of context and saying, well, here it is, applies to my content. No, 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 look, look back at the Old Testament. We have Ezra, Ezra 9. Ezra's praying, he's confessing his iniquities before the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm submitting to you, God. God, please help us. In 1 Kings chapter 8, you see Solomon dedicating his work to the Lord, dedicating his kingdom to the Lord. A couple chapters later, in chapter 18, Elijah is then on his knees, begging before the Lord to do miraculous work. And then fast forward to the New Testament, just another example is Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 26, on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to be crucified. And he says, God, not my will, but yours. It's one thing for us to stand in church and to sing a song with flashing lights and fog, whatever it may be, and being like, oh, yes, I'm in this moment, hands raised. God, your will. But it's something else when you are alone, when you have just been through the defeat, when you are in a war, when you know the world has neglected God working against you, you see war and troubling days ahead, and you say, I'm getting on my knees. I'm changing my posture physically before the Lord to say, God, not my will, but yours. So to take us back and to wrap this up, I'd like to go back to the Valley Forge. Back to June of 1778. So what has happened is they have been there for six months. His troops didn't know how long they would be there. But in this battle, they, they went forward and they fought at the Battle of Mammoth. 
and so this was again against the British. And sure, I may be butchering that battle title, but you get the point, okay? And so it's recorded that they fought as a cohesive unit. The Continental Army fought with such confidence and bravery that had never been seen before. They were able to launch counterattacks. They were able to predict enemy tactics, where they would go, and to fight against them and to beat those enemy tactics. They displayed this, this confidence, this discipline, this endurance, perseverance, that then carried on to future battles and brought future victory. This battle against the British at the Battle of Mammothit, it actually turned out to be a draw. And what happened at this draw, the British, they retreated. They retreated north. And what happened was the Continental Army gave more losses and more hurt, more casualties to the British Army than they received. They received hurt. They were in suffering. They were in a war. And yet, on the enemy, they were still able to inflict more pain. They were able, I think it's so, so cool how they said that they were able to predict the enemy's attacks and to counter them and to beat them because they had prepared when they were already in the midst of a war for a war that was ahead, even though defeat was behind them. And so this is a turning point, not only in the war and the battle, this is a turning point in American history because this is where we begin to see long-term victory. What has happened is the Americans, as we were talking about before, they needed supplies, they needed help, they needed support, and they truly didn't have enough as a nation to beat the British. But in this battle, the French on the other side of the world heard about American confidence, the endurance, the perseverance, and this new discipline they had, and they said, we're coming. We are coming to help you. We are coming to grow stronger with you. And a couple of years later, in 1781, the French joined forces with the Americans to then lead the British to surrender at the Battle of Yorktown. How crazy is that? Like, like they were able to bring in a whole other ally, a whole new forces, because they were distinguished, just like Daniel was. They had prepared. They had gotten on their knees. Washington got on his knees and said they were distinguished from anyone else. And so the French said, we want that. We want to come help you. We want to be with you and to fight this battle. Isaac Potts, one of the men in General Washington's Continental Army, saw Washington praying and kneeling before Valley Forge, and then later told an artist several years after the war had passed, and this is the artist's rendition, this painting of Washington kneeling, because obviously there were no photographs. But I think it's so incredible that Potts was standing there, and he saw his leader, and he said, that's a leader. That's a man that I'm going to fight under. That is one who knows how to prepare for battle. I mean, what if we decided to change our year to be prepared? We've all seen defeats and wars in 2020, but we all are currently battling something, struggling something, even if you don't realize it. And we're going to enter more wars in this year. No year is scotch-free of, of any kind of pain. They all bring pain. They all bring suffering. So how are we going to do it? Because you can't prepare for a battle you're already in. You need to prepare for the one that, that, you're, that you're, you've already walked through, that you're going to walk through. You can use the one you're in to then prepare for others. So we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to get on our knees for? There's so much already in two to three weeks of this year that we can be on our knees for. I mean, think about the political divide. Think about the danger that our nation is sometimes facing with all these protests going on the last year. Thinking about a pandemic that is not nationwide, it is worldwide. We have a new strand. Like, like, there's things every day for us to be on our knees for, for family members, for health, for the church, 
to understand how to best reach its community right now that is hurting in so many different areas. Personally, for me, in the last two weeks, I have been on my knees saying, God, I'm declaring war on my thoughts, my anxious thoughts, my doubtful thoughts. Because I told you guys in previous episodes, I I suffer with anxiety. I, I get anxious. I get nervous. And so I'm saying, God, this year, I'm declaring war on this and I'm seeing victory. So God, I I need you to take this over and I'm giving this to submit to you. You know, Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is the Lord. You know, one day, every knee is going to bow. We're all going to be on our knees one day. So it leaves me to wonder, why wait? Why not practice now? Why not gain this habit now? If we are supposed to be doing this in heaven, it's like singing. We know we're going to be singing in heaven. So we sing now. Why don't we also kneel now? If we're going to be doing it for the rest of eternity, why wait? Why not do it now? I know God is going to do big things this year. God did big things last year. He did great things. Let us not overlook them. And he's going to do even greater good this year. So let's get down on our knees. Let's be expectant of it. Let's be ready for it. As we've done for the past four episodes, I like to end each episode seeing what if there's something that I just can't get out of my head. And it happens to be Passion 2021. If you guys don't know, Passion is a conference for college students where thousands of students join together for the past several different years and they just worship. And it's normally over New Year's. And so last year, I got the privilege of going to Atlanta and worshiping with 70,000 college students during this amazing experience. But of course, with the pandemic, they had to do it differently. And so they were showing it on TV for whoever wanted to join for free. And so as we were tuning in, they kicked off the new year by kneeling. They said, we're going to kneel and be expectant for what the Lord's going to do. You know, in 2020, we kicked it off with, with, uh, with glow sticks and with candles and fireworks. And it was crazy. It was an awesome time. It was a great time of worship. But in 2021, Louis Giglio, the leader of Passion, he said, we're starting on our knees. We're starting this year kneeling. And I'm not here to say I'm copying Passion's idea. You can ask several people. I had this idea well before I watched Passion. But, but it's one of those things that makes you wonder, wow, God is really trying to drill this idea into my head this year. So what am I going to do with it? So I encourage you guys to, to think about this idea of kneeling. To think about what the Lord is calling you to do. To not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, like it says in the book of James. So I want to encourage you guys, take this to heart. Get down on your knees bow before the Lord, be humble before the Lord. Let's begin to live intentionally together.